Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick Rapadumaro, and Hats on Lamps. It's episode 44. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we're going to talk about how our draft week went, thank our patrons, including our new patron this week, card of the week, seven win run breakdown, and our main topic, fire slash fire aggro. So we're going to break down all the fire archetypes, hopefully. So Hats, how was your week? Uh, it was pretty good. Uh, not a bad not a bad week for draft. Uh, I didn't draft a lot. I think I may have completed only two drafts in the last week, but I streamed both of them. I'm now I'm now uh, I'm now streaming on Twitch when I play sometimes and, and that's fun. Uh, both of those drafts were seven win drafts. Uh, I, I don't think that's gonna be typical going forward, but it happened and uh, it was enjoyable. Uh, and also, I've resolved not to dwell on my rank as much, as I said last week uh, during resolutions. But uh, it's hard not to notice that I am back at rank one, and it's 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 okay being there. It's still in the first half of the month before people are making that last big push to make it into the top 20. You know, it's it's uh, it doesn't mean as much as it does later on in the month. But also, um, like I said... But uh, I'm not gonna not gonna dwell on it. It's, I'm uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm only gonna play draft when I am am either enjoying it or because I've said this is when I'm streaming, so I have to. Those are the two times. Never because I feel obligated to defend my my rank. Uh, so, no complaints. First, I I feel like you might stay at number one if the only time you draft is once or twice a week while you're streaming and you get seven wins every time. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a guarantee. Uh, but <laughs> really, I mean, I might lose pretty badly the next time I stream. Who knows? My The big surprise here is that I don't seem to play much worse when I'm streaming and like try to keep up with chat and all that. If anything, I'm making some plays better because I've got some adrenaline going and I'm uh, looking farther forward than I usually do. And I'm trying to predict what my opponent has in their hand so I can have those like called shot moments uh that keeps my brain a lot more alive than it sometimes is when i'm just sort of drafting by myself in my room so other than some runs of bad variants i expect i'll i'll play pretty well on stream in general but we'll see i've only streamed twice now uh over the long haul everything will happen right if i keep doing it yeah days and good days and weird days and great days and funny days and boring days there's Mm -hmm. so many days have you been playing less draft or or less eternal or just playing different modes? No, Drafts I've been playing more. less eternal, but I don't mind. Like I feel like I'm playing the amount of eternal that I I I want to be playing eternal. Uh, you know, I have <laughs> other things going on in my life. I, I still like the game a lot and uh, I'm, and I'm playing it, but I actually feel like I enjoy eternal a little more when I don't think of it as a grind and like sort of a job. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not like playing 10 times as much makes me 10 times better at the game. It just means that I'm playing a lot of the time when I don't really want to be. And yeah. then I'm not learning or, you know, really performing that well. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's, a, there's a maximum amount of time I can put into the game before it starts to be a burden instead of a, a, of a hobby. Or even if I think of it as a kind of job or vocation, there's still a maximum amount of time that I can be effective in it. So yeah. I think I'm closer to that amount of time now than when I'm like binging at the end of the month, like last month. Mm-hmm. 
your uh, how was your draft week? Yeah, my draft week has not been great so far. Uh, the first mistake, and this isn't related to draft, is I joined League this month for the first time in a while. League, it turned out, wasn't really my thing. But the fact that it was, um, I didn't realize this was true last month also, but the first week is eight Flames of Zalta packs. So I thought that would be kind of cool. It'd like, I, I didn't really like the sort of hodgepodge, just like, almost chaos draft feel of previous leagues where it's like four packs of this set, two packs of this, one of this and one of that. And then you, it just felt very random. And I was like, Oh, well, if it's all flames of Zalta, I kind of know the set. Well, I understand how to like put those cards together. So that, that I, I was actually a plus for me. So I did it. I got a really pretty good praxis pool. So went nine and one, but it also meant that I had less time for drafts because I was playing all these league games and because like the league games feel more important. So I didn't I couldn't just like binge five league games in a row or whatever. I was like had to take my time and only play them at the right moment. So then I ended up not playing a ton of draft. And then finally the last couple of days I got a few drafts in. And just went a bunch of one threes and two threes and didn't do great. I've had one good draft so far. So we'll see. Hopefully that turns around. Yeah. Yeah, you might be in a bad pocket or something. These things happen. I This is actually, this month and last month are actually the first two months that I haven't done League in a really long time. Because I realized I just wasn't ever enjoying it. So I stopped. Rather than, yeah. try, to get, rather than try to get better at it. I was like, nope, I still enjoy drafts. So I'm only going to do that. It's the only mode I enjoy, so that's the one that I play. I still play enough constructed to, you know, get my daily pack when I want it and like, you know, play around a little bit. But I've decided that as long as there's one mode that I continuously enjoy, then I don't even really care about the others that much. Yeah, that's kind of what happened to me, especially when it's not winter. Like the 40 games felt like such a commitment. Just rather use my valuable eternal time doing something else. And so for a while I was doing it every month feeling because it was like everyone says league is the best sort of EV, so I felt, you know, compelled to sign up every month. But then I felt like I was never actually finishing all forty of my games. So I was like, "This is this is stupid," so I stopped. Um, yeah, that's how our week went. Yeah, yeah. Tune in, everybody. Everybody, tune into my my stream, Twitch TV slash Hats on Lamps. I'll be trying to keep doing it. Cool. Also, we might be streaming jointly pretty soon. We're, we're revving up for that. No promises. Yeah, no promises. <laughs> <laughs> no promises, but keep an eye out. <laughs> uh, our next is thanking our patrons, which you can find at patreon.com slash farming eternal. So we got a new patron this week. So I'd like to give a big shout out to Madness for donating to the Patreon. So um, you could do as they did and join for as little as a dollar a month. You get access to our show notes recording bloopers, as well as nudges towards our Patreon goals, which are um, doing a live show, <laughs> and you would see how much extra talking there is, and um, a coaching session with hats if we reach $75 a month. And we'd also like to thank our veteran patrons. Those are Big Salty, Titus and Blossom, Parmalee, Darth Herman II, Twin Hex, Cassendrith, Jed Bahamrud, Raven Dragon, Srich0215, Sunblaze, Work done, son, in Yistow. Thank you again for keeping the show going. 
Oh, uh, Vile Collaborator is my card of the week. Uh, we There was a big update. There was the, the big 1.6 update, which was mostly to nerf Endra for Constructed. But also they buffed a whole bunch of cards, something like 12 cards, I forget. But the only card w- that was changed that was relevant to draft was Vile Collaborator, which is uh, a three shadow um, unit. It's uh, it's a 2-3 now. It was a 2-2 before the buff. And it gives all your dragons plus one, plus one in lifesteal. Uh, and so I thought I'd talk about whether the change makes any difference whatsoever in how high you take this in draft. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and my initial answer, I think, is no. Is that it makes no difference at all. Uh, I don't know what the lower end of this would be. Like how how small it would have to be before I would no longer want to play it for its effect, but I definitely am not blocking or attacking with this thing very often, and it's entirely there there uh, because it makes dragons so ridiculously good, because dragons almost always have evasion to begin with, so giving something plus one, plus one in lifesteal with evasion is very, very good. Uh, I also don't know how many dragons uh, are the right number before you start like really valuing Vile Collaborator that high, uh, but I've played it in decks with as few as two, um, just because the effect is so incredibly powerful that it's uh, that, that that's good enough. But ideally, I want three or four uh, at minimum before I'm like, oh great, a vile collaborator, awesome. But I think as you've probably noticed in when you're drafting, usually you you have the option to pick up a vile collaborator before you really have any dragons. That's most of the time, is you'll see a Vile Collaborator in a weird pack, and it's like, should I go ahead and pick that thing up, and maybe I'll have some dragons later? That's what happens a lot more often than seeing one after you've collected some dragons. Right, well, part of it is that it's a, it's an uncommon, and a lot yeah. of the dragons are common, and so you just, the uncommons disappear faster. Sure. Yeah, but not this one, because people, you know, might not want it. They're, you know, it'll last later into a pack sometimes, not always. Huh. Yeah, it's it's how it seems. It's how uh, how it should be. I've definitely seen them come pretty late in packs, but anyway, um, I think the change basically means that it is actually better on the board than it was, like significantly, because there are a lot of two twos in the format, and this blocks them a lot better than um, than it it could when it was a two two. And I would block two twos uh, with this, whereas I would have kept this thing out of combat completely before the change so i think it makes it so that the vile collaborator is better but also i'm never going to put a two three for three into my deck unless it's for a very specific reason so or i'm very short on playables uh so i I think this change doesn't affect the value of of vile collaborator at all um and i just wanted to make this my card of the week so i could say that (laughs) but also so i could talk about it for a little bit (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like for me it has raised it up a little bit, and maybe it sh- maybe it shouldn't, because um, I'm more willing to take a flyer early on a because it's a two three. Because now at worst it's like a banished umbrin as compared to when it was a three power two two, it felt like a wasted early pick because it couldn't even block a two cost unit. At least now, even if you you actually wouldn't block with it because you don't want it to die, the fact 
you know, it does hold off a lot of attacks because most opponents aren't going to bluff into a 2-3. or No, no, or... they don't. You don't waste a combat trick on, on a 2-3. Usually, yeah. I mean, it's not best practice. I feel like the, the change will make it more likely that I end up in in dragons just because I'm more likely to pick this card up. As com- well, I don't know if it makes me more likely to end up in dragons. It's much more likely I'm going to have this in my deck now. Because before, I almost never got one because I found that they went so early that by the time I was in St- Stone Scar Dragons, I never saw them yeah. anymore. Do you know what I mean? And so I would I ended up in a lot of Stone Scar Dragonish lists, but just never had any vile collaborators in them. I kind of I kind of feel like vile collaborator is one of those cards that is that's just cool enough that people take it higher than perhaps they should uh, sometimes, and uh, so it was hard to come across them. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's like it's an appealing card uh, for people who draft trying to make cool decks, you know? Like, the spikier you are, the less likely you are to pick up a Vile Collaborator early because you don't want it to end up being a wasted pick. But it is a very good card in the right deck, too, so it's a it's a spiky thing to pick up. But then more casual drafters want it because dragons are cool, and this is very good with dragons. So it's just sort of a desirable card from a lot of angles. Also, uh, Vile Collaborator, incidentally, is one of the best weapons against... Uh, all the silence effects in the format, like Grodov's Favorite and uh, Archive Curator and all that, because if you have a Vile Collaborator out and a dragon, like, which one do you silence? If you silence the dragon, it's it's still a dragon, so it still has plus one, plus one, and lifesteal, mm-hmm. and then it gets to still attack into a board and get value. If you silence the Vile Collaborator, then I still have a dragon, <laughs> and it's still flying. It's It's a nightmare. That's funny. Here's the, here's the one situation where my Grodos favorite kind of sucks. <laughs> That's still a 5-5 five, five with lifesteal, and I have to block it with my Grodos favorite, and then the next dragon is great. I guess I'll block the Vile Collaborator and start taking damage in the air. It's not good. Yeah. All right, so my card of the week is Brutish Interloper, which is the 3 Primal 2-4 Reckless, Mastery 6, plus 1, plus 1, and Overwhelm. Mastery 12, plus 3, plus 3, and Berserk. The reason I chose this card this week is in the main Discord, I happened to catch a conversation where they were talking about how bad this card is. This involves Allison, I guess, as for some reason a lot of my cards of the week do. She mentioned that she would rate it as a 2 on a 1 through 5 scale, and then she said that Isomorphic said that he thought rating it a 2 was being generous to the card. And... What this got me thinking about is, like, that would mean that this is, like, a really bad card. And I think this card is really bad in this format, but I don't know if it's, like, necessarily a really bad card on its face. And I I don't know if this is actually even a useful thing to think about, but this is a really hard card to, to build around. But, like, if this card was a common and you could get three or four of these in your deck, I feel like this would be a very good card. A very good is strong. Would be a good card. I Mm -hmm. think it's the fact that it's an uncommon card, so you're not likely to get even one or more than one. So you can't really build a deck. It's hard to build a deck to utilize this card to its fullest. Sure. And 
that makes it like a very poor card in this format. But like if you switched one of Primal's awful commons with this card and made this a common, I think Primal would be a better color. And I think Skycrag would be a much better faction. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying, but I I think I'd want you to flesh that out a little bit more. Like if Skycrag were more openly an aggressive combination, which Brutish Interloper would like make it that way. I just think if you could guarantee in your deck that you were drawing a Brutish, you can't do this no matter what. But like if you could get three of these and sort of quote unquote guarantee a Brutish Interloper on turn three, you're much more likely to start getting this to trigger its mastery. And once it starts triggering its mastery, it's a pretty scary card because it's uncommon and you're maybe getting one in a deck and oftentimes not drawing any early in the game when you need it makes it an almost totally useless card. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, I think like this would be a, a more justifiable card if if your other units in the deck uh, benefit from the same sort of support that you want from Brutish Interloper, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you are playing a deck that's entirely things like uh, like Teething Wealth and Yeti Griffin Rider, you know, cards where if they get through once or twice a couple of times or if you've buffed them, uh, they become very, very dangerous on their own. If you can fill your entire deck with cards like that, then this card makes a lot more sense. And I think I've mentioned that on previous uh, on previous episodes where I think that there's sort of a critical mass of of cards with Reckless and Brutish Interlopers and Yeti Griffin Riders uh, and, and that kind of thing, where if you put a Warhorn on them, they're basically unstoppable. And that I think that that, uh, that exists, but there's so little support for it that it just, um, for all intents and purposes, never happens. So yeah, if this were a common, then it, that would be easier to assemble because that would be one more common that was openly aggressive and primal, and that doesn't really exist right now. There's a there's a two one yeti for one, which is an aggressive card, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it makes a snowball when you put a weapon on it, but by itself, that's not that's still not enough. That's still not enough for a cohesive strategy because so much of primal is is made up of of these sort of dirtly long long term uh, synergy cards and not openly aggressive ones. But I've put British Interloper into my decks, but I have to admit that I'm picking it a lot less than I was at the beginning of 7.0 because, like you say, there's not really a, there's not really an archetype that works with it. It's it's very hard to put together a group of units that all get the same kind. And you really need like British Interloper to be consistently not just running into a 4-4 and dying. So you need enough support to keep that from happening. Right. And that means you need the, all of those cards that are support for British Interloper also have to help your other units or else your deck doesn't make sense. So yeah, it's it's tricky. I don't yeah, know if that's... I would say that it's just unplayable and that it's charitable to give it a two because, uh, I mean, any any card that can win the game by itself if it attacks a few times at least is worth a look. But of course, you don't have control over whether this thing attacks, which means a lot if you if your style is is at all conservative in drafting and playing, then this card totally sucks. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I think of it kind of like, you know, like a Longhorn is, is a better card, obviously, because it doesn't kill itself if you draw it in the late game. Huh? But like Longhorns are much better when you have multiples because you're much more likely to draw it on turn two. And I feel like that I that's part of Br- Brutish Interloper's problem. The fact that you 
had talked a few weeks ago about having luck, a few good drafts with Skycrag Aggro made me think that it's, I, I don't know. I guess I, I think of what I'm trying to say is more of a theoretical point. It's like, can a card be a good card, but a bad card in a format? And I think Brutish Interloper kind of fits that for me. And so I don't know if it's, if that doesn't really change your pick order because it's so hard to make it work in this format that you shouldn't really pick it. But I don't think there's something inherently bad, you know, bad about this card. And so like going forward, say if this is in future draft packs or if, you know, I don't, they're probably never going to do downshifting or stuff in eternal, but you know, like a car, a similar card like this, I think could be a very playable card. Yeah, I don't know. It would be interesting for them to. I, I think I want them to do more cards like this with multiple le- levels of mastery because I think it's interesting to see a card sort of level up twice. I, I think I, it's certainly an interesting card. I th- and there's one. Uh, Reckless is, of course, entirely a disadvantage mechanically, but it has one benefit in the game, which is that your opponent never knows when you have a combat trick, like because you are, we're going to be attacking with that thing anyway. And so it feels like a safe block because it's like, oh, it has Reckless. So, of course, they're attacking with it. So sometimes you're attacking with it with something to back it up. And sometimes you aren't. And your opponent has no way to tell because you had no choice. It was coming in anyway. So you can get people sometimes that way. But then uh, that puts a lot of pressure on you to have cards in your hand that can take advantage of that dynamic. (laughs) Sometimes you don't have them, unfortunately. I think in theory, this is actually best in Huru because of that. Like you have, like you can have actual combat tricks backing this thing up. Uh, it's because like putting a warhorn on it is is fine, but yeah. not great. And but but being able to surprise people because it lives through combats pretty easily. So surprising people with combat tricks and that kind of thing is is the way to go. Uh, but yeah, it takes a lot of work to to make that happen. And I I think probably you like me has never had like an aggressive Huru deck actually work out if you've even tried to do it. I've tried to do it, and it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, no, I I actually don't think I've ever put Brutish Interloper in a deck. Oh, okay. It's because... this is more like you just wish that it was <laughs> playable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, right. Well, I wish, like I said, that I could pick up three of these, because if yeah. I knew I could pick up three of these, I would definitely put Brutish Interloper in a deck. But I'm not wasting a second pick on right. this card. You know? Well, I've I've had two of them in a deck before uh, with quite a bit of backup. I'm pretty sure it was Skycrag. Uh, and that deck went five wins. It was respectable. But I was like, you know, it was like like fingernails on the edge of the cliff every game. Because I was just like, oh, it's attacking again. I got to make sure it doesn't die. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just like stressful. Yeah. <laughs> it worked out great occasionally. But it was clearly tough to make it work. So we're moving on to our seven-win run breakdown, which is our long-standing data collection here at Farming Eternal, where listeners mail us in their seven-win drafts or post them to our seven-win channel on the Farming Eternal Discord. And that email address is farmingeternal at gmail.com. We accept exported deck lists and any kind of uh, Eternal Warcry links. And then we take this information, we put it in a couple spreadsheets, and I'm happy to announce we, I think, finally got our top card card-by-card spreadsheet working again for the new format. So I think we'll have a little bit to talk about next week about that, and I'll post a link to it in the show notes. So that's exciting. And thank you to John Holio for entering all the lists. So our new contributors this week are Elvi and Rokoku. 
as well as our veteran contributors, Abednego, Allison, Abgots, Beard Broken, Ben Gracier, Celtic Guardian 7, Chatted, Darth Herman 2, Fang Warb, Hats on Lamps, Hot Nickelball, Inoperable, Jedi EJ, Jed the Hamrid, Cassandrith, Madness, Mercurio Blue, Another Ship, Another Ship's Dad with Another List, Out on a Limb, Raven Dragon, Reprieve 2112, Rofer, Tempest Dragon, Titus and Blossom, Twin Hex, Vader, and Yistout. Thank you again for taking the time to send in those lists. We really appreciate it. Yeah, so like I said, we got the card-by-card card thing working again. So I think next week we'll spend a little bit more time talking about that. But we're going to dive right into our main topic this week. So what is our main topic, Hats? Well, our main topic is drafting and playing fire. Uh, and more specifically, uh, drafting and playing fire aggro in this format. I think you and I have both had a lot of success drafting really aggressive decks, and uh, that was how I started doing really well in internal draft uh, several sets ago, was just like noticing that fire was being kind of underdrafted, people were avoiding it, and then drafting the only aggressive deck around, and then just playing it, and uh, that's certainly been working in this format as well. One of the reasons I wanted to do this is because, you know, since the changes moving the set to 7.5 and switching the draft pack orders, you know, fire has been drafted a lot less. And I think people are a lot more down on fire. You know, fire was sort of in third place in our sort of in our meta breakdown in received deck lists in set seven. And then Shadow overtook it and set 7.5. And I feel like a lot of people were talking about how Fire was a lot closer to Primal. And, you know, one of the reasons, and this is weird that it was felt a little different in set 7, because the set 7 cards haven't changed. But when you look at the set 7 cards, no cards really stand out as being particularly amazing. I mean, other than, other than Teething Whelp, yeah. Oh, sorry. In the common, in the common slot. Yeah. In the common slot. No, none of them are. None of them are great. Yeah, yeah. So n- none of them stand particularly out in the common slot, and so that didn't change when we changed the set. But I feel like people's perception of fire went down, and I think one of the reasons was Onis became a little harder to get into. Yeah, yeah. I and think so that's the, the biggest part of it, really. Yeah. So the the number of even the number of decks fire decks we're receiving has also gone down. But I, I think, like you mentioned in the introduction, is both of us have had a lot of luck with fire aggro, even since the change. And so we kind of wanted to talk about sort of aggressive decks in, in general, sort of how to get in them, what they are, how to play them, and then more specifically, sort of what aggressive decks in this format look like. All right. So, so Hats, yeah. what, what makes a deck aggressive as compared to mid-range because most people i think you know they call drafts everything's a variation of mid-range decks so do you think there are aggressive decks in draft i think there are uh, and i've had quite a bit of success with them <laughs> uh so i think uh i i think what makes a deck aggressive is more than just uh having a low curve of units although i think that is part of it um and having units that are capable of doing a lot of damage in a short period of time, uh, although that is also part of it. Uh, I think the main thing that makes a deck aggressive is that your game plan is to reduce your opponent's life to zero um, and not board control. 
I think that a mid-range deck is about controlling the board and being able to attack with your units freely at some point after doing some trades or getting something uh, with evasion that can repeatedly attack um, or gaining enough card advantage so that your, your board overwhelms your opponent. Um, and aggro doesn't have any of those goals. Aggro has the goal of doing a bunch of damage at the beginning of the game, um, and then once resistance comes up, using reach, weapons, combat tricks, other techniques to push through the last uh, the last amount of damage, and then it doesn't matter what kind of board control your opponent has or how much card advantage they have because they're they're dead. Uh, your card advantage is every card that's left in your opponent's hand um, after you've killed them, um, and your board control, uh, your replacement for board control is is the fact that um, your opponent's life is uh, a more important resource to you than what kind of presence they're developing on the board. So I think that's the big difference, is that your game plan is fundamentally different than a mid-range game plan. Uh, and that affects pretty much every choice that you make, from the picks that you make in draft to the cards that you cut from your final deck and the way that you play knowing that you're playing a deck that doesn't really have a way of playing a long-term game your entire game is to win quickly and then um, if you don't win quickly probably you've lost that game but because you put all of your resources towards winning quickly then you can um, uh, then you're going to do that a lot more often than a mid-range deck, deck is capable of. Yeah, so the, the three main archetypes that people often talk about are aggro, mid-range, and control. And I think aggro control, the difference between that is pretty clear. Um, and then I think you kind of pointed out the differences between what's the difference between an aggro deck and a mid-range deck. You know, another term that gets bandied about a lot is our tempo decks. Is there a difference between a tempo deck and an aggro deck yeah i think there is but there's not it's not it's not like a clean delineation like you'll mm -hmm. have an aggro deck that has tempo elements and a tempo deck that has aggro elements and it's very well what you're doing is very sim similar uh, i would say most decks that are very aggressive in draft are really just tempo decks which just means that you're controlling the pace of the game that everything your opponent is doing is reacting to you using your resources your power mm -hmm. your cards your attack steps very efficiently, more efficiently than they are, so that they're constantly on the defensive. That's what tempo is. And uh, aggro uh, is, is very, very similar to that. You're doing the same thing, um, uh, but also with even more of a mind to uh, doing damage to your opponent's face uh, with no regard for other elements of the game <laughs> and only dealing with your opponent's cards as you need to in order to ensure that you do more damage. Whereas tempo <laughs> as a philosophy is a little bit more about that, uh, that efficiency of resources uh, rather than uh, straight up damage. They're pretty similar, but I, I, there's a difference in my mind and it does make a difference in, in like my final deck construction if I think a deck is leaning one way more than the other. So how do you get into an aggressive deck in this format? Well, the way I personally get into it is that I notice it's open. And that usually means that I'm seeing fire cards that are good in aggressive decks being passed. And that often means in this specific format, in pack one, that people aren't taking blurry chasers. 
because that's a very good aggressive card. It's also a good mid-range card, but it's, it really shines as an aggro card because it attacks as a as a 3-1 first strike if you want, or whatever it's called, quick draw. It attacks as a 3-1 quick draw with only a minimal investment and fixes your draws, so it's exactly what an aggressive deck wants to be doing. And I'll sometimes see those pretty late in the first pack, which usually indicates that uh, that everyone else that was drafting that pack either didn't want to get into fire or doesn't understand how good uh, Blurry Chaser is. Yeah. Which means that I'll probably see similar cards in the last pack as well. So that's usually what happens is I start seeing fire cards uh, later than I should. Uh, there's not as many cards in the other factions that indicate specifically that uh, an aggressive strategy is open and fire is usually the indicator but sometimes you'll see a really late like crooked alley guide too and then it's like well if you want me to take one of the best commons in the format i will do it yeah i think that's that's the way i often get into an aggressive stone scar deck is more than i because I, I never see late blurry chasers but, but i yeah. do sometimes see late crooked alley guides and you know it's one of those, once you have three Crooked Alley guides, you are well on your way to beating people down. Yeah, speaking of mana or power efficiency, uh, the fact that that thing can just sort of be thrown in for any extra power that you have, and then it gets to hit for three unblockable later is uh, is, is fantastic. I think th- those are really good ways. You know, the, th- the place I get the most pushback is sort of in, in the Fox Packs, is that why would you ever pick any of the fire cards if you know the two best fire commons are Warbrush Oni or Warhorn? Yeah, you know which are not as good, I think, as the Shadow Time no, or Justice. They don't, they don't have a good stat line, that's for sure. So I think a lot of people in the second pack now, you're seeing these cards and you're not really wanting to take them because there's almost always a card that's like quote unquote like objectively better that you could be taking. Yeah, and I think that goes back to the different philosophy when you're playing an aggro deck as opposed to uh, sort of a general purpose mid-range deck in draft, is that fire fire cards usually are not as powerful individually as as equivalent cards. And that goes back to like Magic the Gathering that pioneered like the relationship uh, between mana or power and the size of units or creatures. Fire always had smaller things because fire had the ability to do damage directly to the face and had cards that could charge and a lot of cards with overwhelm or trample and uh and therefore it was very very dangerous to make their units big as well because they were the only faction that could uh could directly affect the 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 goal of the game which was to do damage to your opponent's face um you couldn't give them the best units or, or even equivalent units to the other colors or factions, and also let uh, let them torch uh, torch you in the face because that would be unbalanced because <laughs> damage is better than life gain. So uh, they have to be smaller um, out of necessity. Um, but if they're all doing the same thing, which is again damaging your opponent's face, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't end up mattering that much that they're individually slightly worse cards than you can than in the other factions because they all have one singular purpose um you're not trying to do several different things you're not trying to control the board and attack with evasive creatures and remove their creatures uh depending on what you happen to draw you you're 
you're just killing them. <laughs> and so all of the fire cards do that. Uh, and and so having your entire deck doing one thing, um, but be slightly less efficient, but have each piece be slightly less efficient at that, um, is okay compared to having your individual cards be slightly higher quality, but you're trying to do several different things and you're hoping the pieces come together in the right combination. Yeah, and I, I think this sort of gets at whether you're forcing this deck or not. And it's hard, I feel like it's hard to to really even talk about it in those terms because you're picking these, you're rating these cards on such a different axis that it's like, are you forcing fire by picking worse cards or are you picking the best cards for your game plan? We talked about this a little bit last week. A gaudy showman might be like pack one, pick one worse than a card it's up against. But the fact that you're trying to draft an aggressive deck and you feel like your deck is heading in that direction, you know, you're rating for Gaudy Showman as a card that kills your opponent. You know, it's actually a much better card for that role than any other card in the pack. And so, you know, in one sense, it looks like you're forcing fire because you're picking a weaker card. But in another sense, you're just drafting to your deck's game plan. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, uh, and I don't know at, at like at what point in the draft you've decided definitely. Well, this is an aggro deck, so I'm def I'm going to be rating cards uh, along a different axis from now on. Uh, that's something that I've sort of just developed a feel for. I can usually mm-hmm. tell by the end of pack one that I'm definitely going to be trying to dra- draft much more aggressive cards than I normally would. But I definitely know by the time I even have to decide about a. Uh, Gaudy Showman. I think uh, one of the one of the questions that I wanted to to throw out there is: Is it possible to switch into an aggro deck partway through a draft? And my answer to that is is that it's very difficult, uh, exactly because of what I've been talking about, where the cards are rated differently. You end up with uh, if you've been picking cards based on just sort of general value, it's it's super hard to make those cards work in a very aggressive deck later on. Um, but there are cards that are good in every type of deck. So if you have enough of those and you see an aggressive strategy open uh, in pack two, then it's possible. I just don't think that happens very often. Yeah. And I think a lot of them, it, for me, uh, in my opinion, is it, it when you're talking about the other f- faction cards, where there's like a lot of, there are a lot of cards out there that, like you said, do perform this dual purpose role. You know, one of the most obvious is like a Spike Tail Kieran, where that's a great uh, late game card, but it's a fine aggressive card if you're trying to make like an aggressive Praxis deck. And so you can pick that early and still have a flexibility to kind of go in either direction with that card i mean a lot of the early drops just because your aggressive deck wants a lot of early drops so like if you're if you have a deck that has a lot a lot of early drops it then becomes easier to like switch directions a little bit as compared to if your deck is full of war painters or yeah war painter is a good example of a fire card that really slows you down if you're aggressive uh, that's that's one that I value very differently um, if I'm in an aggressive deck. And let's say in a in a regular in like a Praxis deck where I'm expecting to be playing a bunch of champion grapplers or whatever, War Painter is a lot better than if yeah, this is actually kind of an interesting 
interesting uh, topic there because Champion Grappler is a good aggressive card too. It adds yes. a whole lot of power on the turn that it attacks. Uh, but if you have a very aggressive deck, then the Champion Grappler's purpose is to be a 5-5 with charge. Whereas if you're playing a more mid-range deck or like Big Praxis, which is sort of a weird uh, archetype that somehow works in this format and shouldn't, uh, then your goal is to make that Champion Grappler into a 7-7 at some point, which is like a whole different thing. Like, like, right. It's it's an odd like, and then you want to be playing War Painters and Living Examples and like other ways of making the Champion Grappler big enough to to achieve its mastery on its first hit. Whereas in an aggressive deck, you really don't care whether it grows into a seven seven because the game's already over the turn that that thing attacks. Yes, and so I like you said, I I do think um, it is hard to switch gears, but you can still get you can have a critical mass of these like early sort of flexible cards that will still let you switch into a, an aggressive deck. Uh, yeah, I think that's partly the way that first pack is built too, because you do get so many early drops. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very easy to pick up strong early game in, in this particular format and very hard to pick up mid range and control game in the first pack. So yeah, you end up uh, with a first pack sometimes that can go either way. For sure. Although uh, one of like a side effect of that is that I usually work pretty hard in that first pack to make sure that I'm picking up things that aren't one or two drops, just because I feel like it's not going to be hard to pick those up at some point in the draft. Yeah. Is that so? Like you're trying not to pick up early drops, but if you still end up getting a lot of early drops, you're like, oh, maybe this deck is leaning aggressive. I don't know. I mean, we're getting to, we're getting into the texture of individual drafts now. My standard uh, attitude going into a draft is that I'm not going to draft an aggressive deck unless it's open. And mm-hmm. there's just times when it's so clearly open that I that I shift gears into drafting aggro uh, pretty early into the draft. That does happen, especially lately. I haven't noticed that fire's been like dramatically open, and so I'm not doing I'm not drafting those kind of decks very often. Right, I and so that. I work hard. So I work hard to draft a more mid-range strategy in that first pack. And uh, but if I ever see like too many of a certain kind of card passing by, then I'll be I'll be happy to like a lot of the a lot of the mid-range cards available in that first pack are fine in an aggressive deck. For example, Tremor Shocker is fine in an aggressive deck. Uh, you don't get to do damage immediately with it, but you do six damage uh, eventually with it, which is a, a great uh, thing for an aggressive deck to be doing at some point because you know, all, all that means is that you have to you only have to do 19 other damage and then you've got six unblockable damage coming through mm-hmm. so it's fine you know so to some degree the kind of cards that you're going to be picking up if you're drafting a mid-range in, in pack one are going to apply to aggro i guess it kind of contradicts what i was saying earlier where you're really like where you're where you're, where you're really drafting a different kind but i mean there's always crossover between strategies in draft because you can't draft uh, perfectly you don't have the choice of all of the cards in the world so a lot of this is just calling what you're doing by a specific name rather than you know like doing an entirely different thing it's just sort of a different way of looking at it that will affect some picks in specific ways yeah i agree so that does kind of lead us to deck building so i think we're on a sort of Talk about how these aggressive decks maybe look differently than your normal mid-range deck. And I think a good place to start is with unit count. Is there big differences between what an aggressive deck and a mid-range deck look both in unit count and the makeup of those units? 
I think an aggro deck can actually look a lot of different ways. Um, and so, like, the guideline for how many units you should have in your deck doesn't necessarily change that much. I've had really good aggro decks that don't have that many units. that might have 16 or something because I have, like, so much um, removal and backup that it means that the few units that I do get to play will do a lot of damage. Uh, but usually, I would say, like, the, the safe rule of thumb is to have a bunch of units because um aggro sort of goes wide a lot of the time like you mm -hmm. get a lot of units down on the board and if you can attack free freely with them great but once your opponent starts putting up blockers you're probably going to have to let some of your units die and attack with everything um and 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 because you've gone wide still get some damage through and just sacrifice some of your units doing it so of course for that then you're going to want to have more units than your opponent so in general that's what you want to be doing. Um, but I've certainly played decks that have fewer units and, and, and good backup for them. Mm -hmm. And I think efficiency is the main thing that you're looking for. You're always looking for that in units because most good units are efficient for their power. They have a big size. Um, but uh, you, you definitely want units with a high attack power so they can effectively attack into more of, your, of the resistance that your opponent puts up some something like gaudy showman can attack into pretty much anything at a similar power cost whereas a swaying sea Kirin can't it can attack without dying but it's not doing damage and your goal is to do damage and so how does your curve look then so like in a normal mid-range deck you know i think the rule of thumb is you want about six two drops and then a few less maybe three to four three drops and you kind of go down down the curve and especially in this format you're sort of topping out with two three even four plus six plus drops yeah um and so yeah I'm, how definitely, I'm definitely playing more two drops i'm valuing one drops way higher uh so things like if i i don't think that there's a common two one for one other than oni patrol but if there were more i would play all of them that i could get my hands on oh there's uh there's mischief yeti but <laughs> so for Oni Patrol, I did. This is slightly off. So is yeah. Oni Patrol like a signal that you should go into an aggressive deck in pack one? In fact, it is. Yeah, I forgot about. I forgot to mention that earlier. But if I'm seeing a lot of Oni Patrols going by, uh, that's definitely a signal to me that there's there's no one else in this like virtual pod that's interested in drafting early aggressive decks. And I want to I want to be playing as many Oni Patrols as I possibly can in an aggressive fire deck. So and that's outside that's of Oni deck, yeah. right? We're just talking about... Oh, yeah, about yeah, yeah. No, I don't care. It's it just as a basic card, it's exactly what you want to be doing. It costs the least power it can possibly cost. It costs one. And getting a 3-2 for one is amazing. And getting a 2-1 for one on the first turn is about as good as you can possibly expect from your one power on your first turn. So next, weapons, attachments? Uh, well... Uh, I think they're super important. Um, I think the way an aggro deck loses is that your units, uh, which can do damage every turn, which is a wonderful thing for a card to be able to do, might get might not be able to attack anymore because your opponent put up a defense. Mm -hmm. And so, so weapons are all about letting them attack again, uh, making sure that your units are uh, are relevant. Uh, your two drops are relevant after. Um, after that first attack. And I think there's something specific to this format that's important, which is that there's a couple of commons that have Berserk 
one is uh one is the evangel the fire evangel mm-hmm. uh one is the one is the two one in the curated pack that lets you discard a card to get a temper uh both hot of those blood barbarian i think yeah hot blood barbarian uh both of those have both of those have berserk which in a mid-range deck usually isn't that important because it's still just a two power unit that gets blocked by anything but in an aggro deck, if you put a Warhorn on one of your Berserk units or, um, or, or get it into the air somehow or give it, un, you know, give it evasion, uh, it can do a huge amount of damage. And then the disadvantage of Berserk is now it has Reckless and then it probably attacks and dies. But again, in an aggro deck, uh, it's not really, that's not really a concern. It already did its job. <laughs> it did a great yeah. job when, uh, attacking twice that one time it attacked twice and now you don't need it anymore. So that that berserk ability is is way better if you have a straight aggro plan than in any other type of deck, um, and you've got and it's really easy to 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 get berserk cards in this specific format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Warhorn is an interesting case for me because you know we were talking about efficiency earlier, and on its face, a uh, four power plus two plus two is not a very efficient weapon. It's not. And I have cut Warhorns from good aggressive decks for that exact reason. Like, I'll have two or three, and I'll think, yeah, you know what? I've got better cards, and I only need one of these. Or maybe I can cut all of them. Because if you have, like, Crown Watch Longsword, which is the same thing but way more efficient, or the the king of them all, which is Ornamental Daggers, then, then Warhorn starts looking pretty bad. And it's fine because maybe you make uh, an Oni and then you can play it and then you can go wide uh, and that's good. Uh, but but you're absolutely right that in terms of efficiency, it's not the best and there are better options if you happen to be in, the, in uh, able to pick them up. And so does this apply to combat tricks also? Yeah, as efficient as possible is, is best. Although all of the combat tricks are pretty efficient in this format anyway. The fact that draw strength exists is pretty ridiculous. But it means that I'm often cutting the combat tricks in fire because they're not efficient. Uh, like the plus two, plus one that you decimate with is fine. But if I've got enough combat tricks uh, or, or other ways of making my, my small units relevant in the, in the mid game, or what I'm calling the mid game is like, you know, turn five or six or even four, then uh, desperate gambit suddenly uh, starts looking like, well, I don't even need this as a card because it's not actually going to do that much damage. Call me crazy here. Yes. But, you know, I actually have a, a slightly different reaction where I feel like desperate gambit has overperformed for me and draw strength has slightly underperformed for me in aggressive decks. And one of the reasons is because because I am an aggressive deck, I'm often forcing my opponent to trade off units. Mm-hmm. And so your draw strengths, it's a lot harder to get one of these like plus four, plus four or whatever draw strengths to either kill one of their guys or to sneak in. You know, when you're going wide and your opponent only has two or three units on board finest hour you play it on a unit that's not blocked and you have a guaranteed three extra damage or whatever but oftentimes with the draw strength you know i did say three units but if they only have two units you know you're not actually doing that much extra damage as compared to a desperate gambit which does cost a little bit more but 
oftentimes can be a guaranteed for extra damage. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, usually Desperate Gambit is is going to be the last spell you play because uh, it's not or may, or close to the last spell you play because uh, it's not going to allow very many of your units to live through combat that wouldn't have otherwise. Although when you're playing an aggressive deck, it often comes down to just like one point of health, and so sometimes it will. But yeah, you're right. It does an extra four damage for un- unblocked units. So yeah, I I, th- I I think you're right. I want higher quality cards than desperate gambit if i can get them but they it does do its job and it is at its best in an aggro deck so i don't know maybe i maybe i'm underestimating the card in this situation i just found that i wasn't playing mine in most of my aggressive decks because i had better options but uh but there's nothing wrong with what you're saying i think that's true draw strength is just is good for one power you're right there's a lot of trade-offs and also you're not you're you're not your plan is that the game ends pretty soon and so your opponent doesn't have time to play a lot of units and so draw strength is less powerful certainly if i could change all of my draw strengths in an aggressive deck into finest hours i would do that in a heartbeat because it's better (laughs) absolutely uh but i don't always have that option because finest hour isn't even a boosted card so you're very lucky if you even get one so how about cards like a reconnaissance I, i think reconnaissance reconnaissance is great i think in a stone scar or aggro deck because it does a bunch of guaranteed damage. I mean, not guaranteed. Maybe your opponent can remove your creature, but most of the time your opponent has to use all their power just defending themselves, so uh, you can you can just uh, get a Reconnaissance through. Reconnaissance is a lot better on units with a high attack power, so that's another reason to have things like... Uh, have, have things like uh, a Gaudy gotcha. Showman. Uh, so that's one of, the, it's one of the highest attack power things that you can 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 get for cheap and uh yeah six damage for a spell is is a huge amount so it's great you don't even have to decimate it for it's for it to do a really good job i don't know how many reconnaissances you want because uh even though you're got this single-minded purpose of doing all the damage and ending the game quickly it is nice to be able to attack repeatedly with things uh because that's an even more efficient way of doing damage than doing a bunch of damage one time uh however you do need reach because eventually your opponent is going to be able to stabilize with their higher quality cards and reconnaissance is like nope you you have you have not stabilized at all my units still get to attack oh. also reconnaissance on a berserk unit is absurd <laughs> so that's another thing <laughs> the same thing with those little two drops that have berserk reconnaissance is like eight damage on those things it's 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 nutty so lastly how about removal is there a difference between what removal you're looking for how you're using it in an aggressive deck i think generally removal is removal uh because you're you're not removed the the philosophy while you're playing is a little bit different while you have removal because you're removing blockers. You're not trying to prevent yourself from being killed by your opponent's units. You're making sure that your opponent's units can't prevent you from executing your game plan, which means that you're usually killing things with lifesteal. You're killing things that can block your units repeatedly. And um, not you're not so concerned with like flyers, for example, uh, because flyers aren't efficient enough for you to worry about them. And unless your plan is to attack a lot in the air, in which case, yes, definitely get rid of flyers. Um, but the thing is, like, there's not a lot of high-quality removal in this format, and there never was. So you pick up removal, and you might use it differently during the game, but you're still valuing it in a pretty similar way. Like, Fell Ritual is still a good card in aggro, because it's a fairly efficient removal spell that will get rid of something relevant. 
Um, yeah, the bigger question for me is like cards like Eviscerate, where it's getting it's obviously less efficient than Fell Ritual, and it's getting close to as high as you want to go up the mana curve. And so, so I'm always struggling to figure out like, do I want to play an Eviscerate? Do I want to play two Eviscerates in my aggressive deck, or would I rather they be another two drop? I've had to make that decision too, and I have cut eviscerates from my aggro decks. Uh, I've I've cut all of them once. I had two eviscerates in a stone scar aggro deck, and I cut both of them because I felt like I had enough other uh, kinds of removal that I just would never need to get rid of something really big and threatening with a with a high cost removal spell. I don't yeah. know if that was necessarily correct, but it felt good at the time, and then I you know I won with that deck, so it worked out. And I've had that same experience where sometimes it's just you're like really glad you drew any removal because that was all you needed to do to get the last bit of damage in and the eviscerate was great there. But other times it really sucks to draw your eviscerate in your opening hand when you're an aggressive deck. Um, and one of the nice things about playing an aggressive deck is that sometimes you can keep your curve low and play fewer sigils in your deck and just draw more cards that do things. Which yeah. is another form of, of card advantage is if you're drawing cards that do things and your opponent is drawing and playing sigils, uh, it's virtual card advantage in a way. You're you're having a bigger effect on the board on average. So so being able to take out those expensive cards and just play more cards with text on them is uh, is a is a pretty big difference, especially if you can shave it down to like sixteen power. Yeah. And so what kind of deck are you looking at when you're trying to get down to 16 power? Uh, well, uh, I usually am able to play like 20, 21 units in that case. And then um, some combination that would make some kind of combination of, uh, of eight cards that are that are either removal or pump spells or weapons, um, mm -hmm. you know, give or take uh, a little bit in all of those categories. And that means I'm much more consistently getting a unit down on the board. And then because I've got a pretty high count of like help for those cards, I'm much more consistently drawing those. So I think that then it tops out at like five, maybe. Um, I wouldn't yeah. probably have more than five, more than two five drops in that deck mm -hmm. and maybe even fewer. I've had a deck that topped out at four before, although that's very hard to it's very hard to get enough playables. For, for that to happen and especially because there's a bunch of high powered big drops you know like in praxis we talked about there's the champion grappler and stone scar not necessarily an aggressive card but that those big dragons their reach in a sense they're expensive but oftentimes your opponent can't block them so they can get in that last bit of damage once you've stalled out on the ground it's interesting. That's one of the things that I think make people think that it's hard to be aggressive is because there's so many good big cost units, but figuring out how to build decks that incorporate them while still being aggressive, I think is. Yeah. Key. And I, th I think it's a little deceptive too, because I see that a lot. I see people talking about like saying, Hey, champion grappler is really great. And like, it's so much, it's so much better than, you know, some two drop. It's like, yeah, it costs six. I hope it's better. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like I hope it's a lot of power to get on the board. I hope my six drops are good. Uh, most of them are because of that very thing. They're costed appropriately, and uh, I think 
I, I mean, it takes it takes some commitment to the concept of playing aggro, but uh, sometimes you just have to not play six drops, even though they are very good at what they do individually. Like I've, that's another card that I've cut from uh, from Stone Scar decks is Cinder Dragon, as it's great reach, but also it means that I have to be playing more power than I want to, and it takes forever for that thing to get into the board, and then it only does four damage per turn. And I, I think there's probably a more effective way to get to a victory than that. And I'm, of course, not saying that Cinder Dragon isn't a playable card, just not in this specific strategy. Like one of my, the, the deck that I streamed first was, a, was an Argentport deck that splashed fire just for three Cinder Dragons. <laughs> and it was a great deck. But when I have an aggressive enough deck, uh, then I start looking at those Cinder Dragons to cut for sure, because they're not really part of the same game plan. Their reach, but they're slow reach, and I want fast reach. So in that kind of deck, I probably want Reconnaissance over a Cinder Dragon because it does the same job for two power. I would say that while you're just sort of in general, while you're playing an aggro deck, you have to be thinking more turns ahead than if you're playing a slower deck. I think that's one of the big differences between playing aggro and any other style is that you're not going to do very well if you're not thinking about the exact path of getting your opponent to zero. Because if you're playing mid-range, you can kind of like play it by ear every single turn and just do like what's best for that turn because what your your main goal is to establish a dominant board. And you can do your best on each turn to make that happen. Whereas with aggro, you're not trying to do that. It's a less of a priority. And so your your real plan is like, how does that number go from 25 to zero? And you have to plan ahead a little bit more. Like you pretty much know what your first turn is, your second turn, your third turn. And then you've got a little library of things that your opponent can probably do to get in your way and how you're going to deal with those things. Because if you make the wrong decisions on those first few turns, then you're really handicapping yourself because those are the only turns that you have those are the the relevant turns are are the first few and so uh you gotta you gotta have a real specific plan for those and maybe you don't have that many choices because you don't have that many choices when you don't have a lot of power available but if you have several two drops then you do have some choices you know do you play your berserk unit on turn two or do you play it on turn three knowing that a warhorn is coming up you don't get as many choices but they're all very very important when you're when you're playing aggro yeah i think that's very key to playing aggro well and then the other thing that i've sort of learned as i've gotten better and better at aggro and watching better players is you know there's this tendency to think of aggro as like desperately trying to get those last bits of damage and a spacing to like win the game but there is a balance there you know you sometimes do have to switch gears and be patient at the end of the game with an aggro deck because you do have smaller units and so sometimes you have to sometimes realize that you're not actually going to get there just by a spacing you know your opponents their blocks are too good and you have to Put the brakes on and draw into your outs. And I've seen and done myself too many times where you're just like, you see your opponent stabilizing and then you're just like, oh, I just need to make this last desperate attack and hope I get there or hope they mess up. And that's not always the correct decision because maybe you have a reconnaissance in your deck or maybe you have a combat trick and they think they've stabilized, they make an attack with a unit and then you can play a gaudy showman and get that last bit of damage 
And you were only able to do that because you realized those were your outs and you didn't just recklessly throw away units at the end of the game. And so I think that's one of the most difficult parts of aggro is to know when you're supposed to recklessly throw away units and when you're supposed to put the brakes on and draw into the cards you need to win you the game. That's exactly right. Uh, it's very hard to get to a point where... I mean, it's very hard to just ace space for the whole game and win. The defensive options and defensive cards in this format are too strong. There's too many 2-4s and 1-4s and like just like things with lifesteal that they can throw in the way. Uh, at some point, that's probably going to happen. It's very rare that you get to just play a game where you just totally overwhelm them. And so there is that sort of like high gear part at the beginning of the game. And then there's a part where it doesn't make sense to ace space until you have a bunch more units on the board and you can go wide and get that last bit of damage through. And you're doing that not because you're desperate to win the game. You're doing that because that's your plan. <laughs> that's that's your goal in that that's what you were planning to do. And this is a much larger topic in a way uh, that spreads across all card games. But I remember, uh, I'll just touch briefly on it, where like Hunter, uh, the Hunter class in Hearthstone used to be an only aggressive class and people would characterize other players who played Hunter as being like kids or, you know, like bad people or <laughs> like just like, you know, like there was something there was something wrong with their personality that they wanted to play aggro in Hearthstone. And I think that's uh, true maybe to a lesser degree in Eternal because it's a much, much, much less toxic like community. But uh, but you still see those kind of posts here and there, like you know, some this person that's just playing like Yeti is awful or whatever. You know, the, uh, as though choosing to be aggressive and to try to complete the game very quickly um, is some sort of a moral failing. And uh, I've never been able to get on board with that at all. It seems like if that if aggression wasn't a part of the game, then it would be then the game would be much more about variance than it is because it would be so much about the luck of the draw in every game rather than play skill. Whereas to me, uh, playing aggro requires quite a bit of play skill because every single one of your decisions matters much more. And uh, I think that would be reflected in sort of the history of Magic the Gathering, which is like a lot of the best players in the game uh, developed really effective aggro decks that won uh, despite the quality of the cards in the deck. And I think that uh, lineage is still true today with what we're talking about in, in, in drafting aggro is that the quality of the cards isn't reflective, uh, doesn't reflect the overall quality of the strategy. And choosing to be aggressive doesn't mean that you want to play in a desperate way. It means that you're interested in attacking the goal of winning in a way that your opponent isn't prepared for because they're planning to win a, a mid-range game. And if that's a good strategy, then that's a good strategy. It doesn't have anything to do with desperation. So I think the final thing we wanted to do was sort of go through the the different fire factions, Praxis, Stonescar, Rakano, Skycrag, and maybe talk about a little bit about what cards go up or go in aggro decks in each of these factions. Um, so like, for example, Praxis. You know, we talked about Spike Tail Kirin. I think that can be a very good aggressive card. Another nice thing about uh, Praxis is their Evangel has charge. Very yep. helpful 
Yeah, one, you know, has cha- one has Berserk and the other one has Charge, so it's good. W- one interesting card is the Champion Grappler because, you know, on its face, it's a six power card. So on its face, it doesn't seem very aggressive, but it's a 5 5 charge with Overwhelm, which does seem like it'd be good in aggressive decks. And mm-hmm. you've mentioned how that really, whether you want to play that in your aggressive deck, is very much based on the the texture of your deck because it is expensive. So if you're trying to really go down to like 16 power or whatever, maybe you cut the prax- or the the grapplers. But if you don't have a lot of reach, the grapplers sort of go up in value because they could be that last few points of damage. It changes your opponent's situation so dramatically, you know, because they don't usually have to deal with that much more power actually attacking them because uh, there's so few units with charge. So it's really hard for an opponent to plan for a, ch- a champion grappler. They know it's coming if you're playing Praxis, and they should be prepared for it if they're if they're good. But maybe they just can't because they don't have the resources for it. Um, mm-hmm. They've used them all up blocking your other stuff. And then the other one, the other card I wanted to highlight that you mentioned is the ornamental daggers. That's mm-hmm. a very if you know it's a very efficient weapon. You're able to spread it across bodies, which can often be good. Can you think of any other cards that you want to highlight? The, the dual faction card in the in the curated packs is really good in aggressive decks. Journeyman Armor, that's the 2-2 with warp for 3, and uh, it plays a plus 1, plus 1 weapon on another one of your units. I probably want as many of those as I can get if I'm playing an aggressive deck, because not only does it occasionally draw you a card and give you more resources, uh, it, it, it just messes up your opponent's math again because they have to block a bigger thing than they were expecting to and then next turn they have to block more things than they were expecting to so it just sort of damages your opponent's plan and it's really good on mastery units too it lets kieran attack for um you know one one time less in order to get its bonus and that kind of thing no i'm glad you mentioned that card because we talked about efficiency and and that on its face uh three power two two doesn't seem very efficient but it's actually three attack and health spread over two units and there's that flexibility. And because you're an aggressive deck, you're really hoping to have units on board by turn three. To, yeah. Um, and because you're an aggressive deck, you might have one drop, so you might have a choice of things to put that weapon on. Whereas if you're playing a slower deck, Journeyman Armor always feels a little weird because uh, you're not really getting that much benefit from it. You're just putting a 2-2 down, and then one of your units is slightly bigger, and it's not that big of a deal. So I don't value it as high, but if I'm if I'm playing... I mean, it's still a good card, but it's not, like, dramatically good. But in an aggressive deck, it's pretty dramatically good. Shall we move to Stone Scar? Yes, indeed. Uh, we've already talked about Crooked Alley Guide. But Crooked Alley Guide is a great card no matter what. But if you have a lot of them, then your deck is almost certainly an aggressive deck anyway. <laughs> it's sort of like... It's just sort of a ridiculous... It's a 3-3 three, three for 1. It's... It's nuts. One of the strongest decks I've drafted in this format had four journey, uh, four crooked alley guides in it, and uh, it was unstoppable. There was just no stopping it. it As I, mm-hmm. it was like, it was like four. Uh, I, that's what I called it when I posted it on on Farming Eternal. Was four crooked alley guides standing in a crooked row because it was just like that was the whole deck. <laughs> there were there were several other cards in it, but it was mostly just those alley guides. Where do you put the weapons? Uh, you know, because Shadow does have a couple of these like two one weapons. One gives deadly. One gives quick draw. They're a little the quick draw. The quick draw one is uh, absurdly good. Blackguard mm-hmm. sidearm. The the other one's okay. It's 
like giving something deadly lets it attack into something once, but then it still probably dies. I think it gives three, one, and deadly. If you can activate the uh, the spellcraft on it, then everything gets quick draw that turn, and that's pretty darn good. But it's it's not as good as the it's not as good as the blackguard sidearm, so I don't pick it as high. But it's still a good card. And also, if if you're if you're in Stone Scar, then you're likely to pick up a couple of Makar Evangels uh, with um, that have quick draw natively, and then getting deadly on one of those things means it's completely impossible to block. Right. Yeah, and that's another thing. You know, another reason that. Stone Scar, I think, is a good aggressive color pairing. First, it has Crooked Alley Guide, but also the Makara Evangel with Quick Draw mm-hmm. is also a pretty good ability because it'll it it allows that Makara Evangel to attack longer than a two two might normally be able to. And now that Blurry Chaser is one of the boosted cards in in the curated draft packs, that's another thing that you're likely to end up with one or two of that has quick draw, which means every weapon you put on either a Blurry Chaser or a Makar Evangel is very likely to win the game if your opponent can't remove the thing outright. And I think another interesting thing, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think like cards like Makar Blood Wolf go a little down for me. Um yeah, they do for me too. It's still a good card, but the fact that it's smaller and you're not as concerned with your own life total means that it's not really as good as a 3 3 for 3 in a lot of cases. Even though it has the potential to grow, you're not really, most of the cards in your deck aren't going to get to attack three times. So uh, it's more something that you'll play if you're pretty sure that you'll be able to to put a weapon on it or something because uh, 2 3 for 3 isn't isn't strong on its own um so that's a it's a really good example of a card that you have to evaluate a little differently and then we we talked about the cinder dragons where you know they are reached they're slow reach so again it's like the champion grappler a little bit where you really it's a little deck dependent on whether your aggressive decks want to play them and i don't remember if we said this on the podcast but just like there's a difference between big praxis and an aggressive Praxis deck, there is a difference between like a Stone Scar Dragon deck and an aggressive Stone Scar deck. Like you're def- you are trying to avoid playing cards like Cinder Matoda in your aggressive Stone Scar deck. Right. I think for obvious reasons. But you know, and even cards like Vile Collaborator, where you're trying to play a much longer game when you're putting cards like Vile Collaborator. And a bunch of cinder Ma- or in a bunch of cinder dragons in your deck, but cards like Dreadmaw Hellkite, um, you know, those go great in both kinds of decks. Uh, yes, yes, they do. Uh, but even better in the in the aggressive deck because then the not being able to block isn't really that much of a of a disadvantage. Okay, now on to Rakano. Yeah, um, and this like there was that Reddit question about is is Rakano Oni still good? And I tried to answer that today, and uh, it was a tough question to answer uh, because I just haven't drafted much Rakano in this new format. I think you've drafted a little bit more than more than I have, so you might be able to better answer this one. Yeah, Rakano is a, an interesting one, especially if we're trying to make a distinction between like an aggressive deck and an Oni deck, because you know the Oni deck can have very aggressive draws, but it's also playing, but it's also very much a synergy deck, 
and playing cards like Oni Stalwart, which are on their face not an aggressive card, but once you play a few acclaimed artisans and Warbrush Onis, become a, a much more aggressive card. It takes longer to set up. You're sort of winning with a cumulative synergy that you build up over the course of the game. Yeah, and the, but the thing is, because that synergy can be so strong, you know, you can still win a game on turn five or turn six once you've played a couple of claimed artisans. And so, like, um, sort of the nut draw of, of a Rakano Oni deck does feel very aggressive, even though it's, it's sort of that aggression is very synergy based. Um, but I think the tools are, are still there. So I, I think the Oni deck still does exist. We've had a lot of people send in, you know, less. We've had many fewer Oni decks than we did in the previous format, but people are still sending them in. People are still managing to get these three or four acclaimed artisan decks and putting together. And there's nothing inherent about Rakano that makes it not be able to play aggressively. Justice has some very good weapons. And it has a lot of combat tricks. So the tools are there. You know, I think one of the things holding it back outside of an Oni strategy is the fact that the Evangel, while good, is not necessarily inherently aggressive like the Fire, Time, or Shadow Evangels are. And then also, you know, their premier three-drop Oni Stalwart, if you don't have ways to boof boost its attack, it's not a particularly aggressive card. And that's sort of the premier three drop in Justice. And then even and then in the draft packs you have cards like Torrid Test Pilot, which while good at killing your opponent, is not necessarily good at quickly killing an opponent because it does come down as a one four. Yeah, it's not an efficient card, it's a versatile card. And it's a very yeah. versatile card, so it's it's good. Uh, but it's it's slow. But there you know, you can if you get a couple of if you get a couple of drill masters in the second pack or something like that, then you're well on your way to, to a deck that can attack really well. But uh, you can't count on that. And I think I think that that whole archetype leans so heavily on acclaimed artisan. The strength of your final deck ends up being however many acclaimed artisans that you get. And I don't usually like to be in a position where I need to get a lot of a particular card for my deck to work. <laughs> you know, like a, that's like that's that's how my that's how disasters happen. So I think that may be the biggest reason that I don't end up in Arcano that much is is that I don't have a guarantee that this one specific card is going to come up. Uh, if it does, then great, you've got this deck with all these acclaimed artisans, and I've certainly had that happen. But I guess I, I don't like to be in a position where I'm looking for him. All right, so let's move on to Skycrag. You're the only person with experience drafting yeah. Skycrag on this podcast. I know. Uh, and I haven't been doing that much of it lately. I experimented with it a lot when, the, when, when we went into 7.5 or whatever we're calling this format. And I had middling success. I, uh, these were decks that came in at four, five, six wins. Uh, which is pretty good, but but you know you can do better in this in, uh, in draft. So I started abandoning it because I couldn't get it to work consistently enough. And uh, I still, if I'm getting some high quality primal cards in the in the first couple of packs, uh, will sometimes put together a, a deck that that wants to attack in the air a lot or something like that. But 
I don't know. I think it's just too hard to make it work. There's just not enough redundancy in the in terms of the commons, especially in the Flames of Zalta packs, to keep it happening. And uh, I, I've I've said a, in a couple of episodes that you have a lot of berserk units if you put all of the Skycrag cards together. You have the Red Evangel. You have Yeti Griffin Rider. You have Relentless Combatant. You have the 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 two one that makes a temper that we were talking about earlier, and you have all of these little yetis now, which are fairly efficient too in the first pack. But the thing that we're talking about, where all of the cards do the same thing, but the fire cards are a little bit less good than than uh, the cards in the other factions, just gets multiplied when you start trying to make Skycrag work that way. Because not only are your fire cards kind of bad, also your primal cards are kind of bad. And they all do. At, they all are trying to do the same thing. Is like let's get some big weapon on a berserk unit and then attack with it. But it's as effective as that is when it works. It's a flimsy plan that goes wrong easily. I'm not against doing it. I think it works sometimes, but I wouldn't like put that as like a tier one strategy that you should be looking for. Sometimes it's the only like clear strategy that's open, but it's rare. It's rare, and I wouldn't be trying to do it unless you're feeling experimental. And I think the other problem is Primal has so many of these low-attack flyers. And so, like, you know, there's the Eddie Griffin Rider that does have Berserk, but it's still, it's a 1-1. Mm -hmm. And you have a lot of 3-power 2-1s. And while they're evasive, they're not killing your opponent very quickly. No. No, they're not. And... They are evasive, but if your opponent is interacting with you on the ground, your opponent might not be an aggressive deck, but end up killing you faster than you can kill them exactly. in the air. Yeah, Thunderstrike Raven doesn't fit into your plan very well, because it's not an efficient way of dealing damage to your opponent's face. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a strategic way of dealing damage to your opponent's face. It's a difficult-to-block way. It's not an efficient way. So really, it's not part of an aggro plan at all. <laughs> it's it's just a weak card where the muster where the mastery it, uh, ability doesn't do anything because there aren't any curses in in uh, in Skycrag unless you were lucky enough to pick up a permafrost, and then you have to attack three times before you get to draw it and use it. It's awful. And I feel like I I didn't look it up, but I feel like cards that might be helpful like a mortar aren't boosted order's not boosted but it is a very helpful card it's a super yeah helpful. that would be really great in a skycrag aggro deck and so primal ends up just not adding enough to the equation it's adding you know almost like the opposite of what we we're talking about with brutish interloper where it's adding too much redundancy and you're really what we've been talking about with these you know the other three faction pairings is these other colors are bringing something new or different to the table. And Skycrag, it feels like, really isn't doing that. No, it isn't. It's bringing, it's bringing similar effects to the table. It's bringing small units with evasion and berserk. And that's not different than what fire basically already has. Like, fire already yeah. has uh, overwhelm. It doesn't usually have a lot of flyers, but it, uh, it has ways of getting some damage in. And yeah, and it's not bringing ways to help. You, you know, it's not 
There's not a no... lot of them. There's a few like that. That two one that gives another unit flying is is great. There's, uh, yes, there's yeah. like that, but there's no damage boosting combat trick. There's no primal good primal weapons. No, the one uh, thing it's bringing to the table really is stun abilities, which are great for aggro because you don't need your opponent's units to go away permanently. Uh, if you can just attack through them twice, which is exactly what stun does, that's pretty good. Yeah, I guess you're right, and I I. I guess we should. That's actually the card we should have led with is Flash Freeze. Sure. Great card to have in your aggressive deck. So if you have a few flash or a couple flash freezes, you know, maybe this is a different story. If you manage to get lucky enough to open a Crystallize, yeah. you know, I would figure out how to make an aggressive Skycrag deck. Yeah. I can't completely. No, I mean, Crystallize that because Crystallize goes in whatever deck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but, like I'll splash for a crystallize, you know, even though it's t- double influence. <laughs> it's just a yeah, stupid no, card. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm that. That was partially a joke, but I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. your 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 aggressive deck gets a lot better if you have cards like that, and that is a thing that primal can bring to the table. And I think those are the main things that if you end up in Skycrag and are trying to build an aggressive deck, that you're going to be looking for because, like we said, it's it's unit suite really doesn't, it's more of the same. It doesn't really complement fire. And so what you're really looking for are those stun effects. Yeah, which is like why Jarrell's Frostkin, I think, the the four power three three that stuns a unit when it comes into play is one of the best cards that you can have if you find yourself in aggressive Skycrag. Right. Because uh, it's half a flash freeze and another thing that your opponent has to block. And uh, I think if, I think if Direwolf wanted to make Primal a little a little better at some point in draft, all they would have to do is print a card that was a 2-2 with the same ability that stuns a unit when it comes into play, and that would cost 3. And suddenly Primal would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Because Frostkin is great, but it is just a little bit slow. Whereas, uh, whereas a three cost two two would, uh, which is a card that actually exists in Magic, I think, in like the base set, uh, sort of makes Primal viable as a, as a strategy all of a sudden. Because then all of those silly Yetis can can attack for a whole extra turn, and I don't know, it would be this versatile cheap card. Uh, part of yeah. Primal's problem is everything is sort of expensive, uh, including its really good effects. So yeah. Yeah, if you yeah, have like a it, lot of stun effects in your primal deck, then you're probably doing pretty good. Yeah, and like you're saying, there's no good three drop that helps you get your two drops in in primal. Yeah, it's too early to cast flash freeze at that point because you're only buying like you know four or five extra points of damage there and not adding anything to the board. Flash freeze is great, but it would be really cool if there was something a little bit more like Gaudy Showman that actually helped your 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 first couple of plays get in. If they want Skycrag aggro to be a thing, which is presumably they do since they printed all of these Yetis that just the Yetis just didn't get there. Yeah. I mean part of it is that they didn't do that in set seven and so it's hard to build an archetype out of just half your packs. Which is True. what there's not a lot a ton of aggressive yet or I don't know, you know what I mean? There's just No, like, there's there's a muster yeti, uh, which is the slowest thing you can imagine. <laughs> yeah, there's Wizen Crone. There's Wizened Crone, which is a very specific strategy, and then there's and then there's Yeti Griffin Rider. That's kind of the only one that yeah. really benefits from that sort of Yeti thing. 
and it's not even it's not even that good. Yeah, Skycrack's yeah. just in a weird place. Or All right. Usual. Cool. Well, I think that was a pretty good summary of what aggressive look decks look like and how to play them. So we are going to not do a draft this week, but I hope everyone was able to get something from this discussion. And so I think we're going to end our show there. So that's our show. Thanks again to all our patrons for making the show a success. And for those of you who are not a patron, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can join us in our Discord, which we have a link in the show notes below, as well as thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts. And don't forget to send in all seven win deck lists you do this week to farmingternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Have a good night.